my sermon this morning that I feel led to share with you, um, again, when Cindy and I were coming back on vaca- from vacation, we listened to a sermon um, by Steve Gray, the pastor of World Revival Church, and he said a couple things in that sermon, just a couple phrases that uh, I've been just turning around in my head ever since we got back, and uh, this week I really was, I was praying and studying and, and, and asking, what does this look like? I believe this is what I'm supposed to share this morning. Uh, so the title of the message is simply, What Compels You? What compels you? What has you bound to do whatever it is you do? What compels us? Put up that second slide. I think it's my second one. Go ahead and dim these lights on the stage, would you please? Anybody recognize those two guys? (laughs) Marty and Doc. How many of you remember Marty and Doc? It seems to be one of those movies that I'm not the only one because it was out in 1985, right? What was the name of the movie? Back to the Future. Great movie, mostly. Marty and Doc. Marty's this 15-year-old kid and Doc's this wacky scientist. And, and Doc develops this DeLorean car that's fueled by plutonium. And he rigs it all up with science that only Doc can understand. That if, if, if Marty could drive that car exactly 88 miles an hour and the timing would be just right when the, electric, the lightning struck, he'd go... Back in time. A time machine. Well, he, it worked in the movie. And he went back in time. And if you remember the movie, it caused just a few problems. It caused just a few problems. Marty discovered he didn't quite fit in. It really got awkward when his mother-to-be started hitting on him. Because <laughs> he thought he was a good-looking guy who showed up at school one day. He really set him on fire when he was this high school dance and he started playing Johnny Be Good. Anybody remember that? Oh, gal, you got to watch it. <laughs> I'm really dating myself. I understand that. But he didn't fit in. Have you ever wondered in your own mind, have you ever imagined what it would be like to be able to go back in time to the beginning of the church? You know, most of us look around, most of us have been in churches, other churches besides this one and in this church, and and we kind of know what it's like when we gather in the building we call the church. And we're out in the world where we should be able to recognize the church, right? Right? (laughs) Yeah, it tells us how hard it is to recognize the church in the world, doesn't it? But we should be able to recognize the church, And think about this. What would it be like to go back in time like Marty did, only we went back way further? What would it be like if we went back in time to the very birthing of the church? What if we went back in time and we decided and had the opportunity to hang out with Paul for a while? How cool would that be to hang out with the Apostle Paul? Man, we could have probably given him insight how to write those letters a little bit better. Or something. But it makes you think, how would you fit in if we went back to 
50 A.D., 60 A.D., and we hung out with Paul. Boy, would there be culture shock or what? They'd look at our clothes and think, boy, you dress weird. And we'd look at them and say, you forgot to get dressed this morning. You're wearing your robe. We'd go back, the food would be different. Their clothing would be different. Their housing would be different. Their mode of transportation, we would not find a garage anywhere. There wouldn't be no cars. You'd walk everywhere. We wouldn't fit in. Well, that's a given. We can experience that today, can't we? Get in an airplane, fly a few hours to a third world country and get out of the airplane and go out into a small village and go, whoa, what planet is this? We can experience that kind of cultural change, but what I want to ask you about is this, not that stuff. Here's the question that's been bouncing around my head all week. If Paul just watched and observed me, Would he recognize enough Christ in me to ask me to go along with him? Would he even know I was a Christian? If I went back there in their culture and the culture of the early church, and I'm not talking about all that other stuff, the the clothes, the house, the travel. I'm talking about what it meant to be compelled by the Holy Spirit. What it meant to be a Christian. Would we even be recognizable, 21st century Christians, as Christians? That's a thought-provoking question. My Christian values. How many of you have ever heard the phrase or term, Judeo-Christian values? Familiar with the term? What does it mean? Well, in theory, and boy, it's barely theory, People refer to America as a Judeo-Christian country, right? Are we? Well, maybe. It depends how you look at it. But to be a Judeo-Christian culture, Judeo-Christian values, would mean we value such things as the Ten Commandments. We value morality as the Bible defines it. We value and honor leadership as God lays it out. We value biblical principles. We value liberty. And these things have infected our nation or affected our nation since its founding. It's the way our nation has thought for a long, long time, but it's really disappearing quickly. Well, if we want to look at Judeo-Christian values, we'd look like, you know, that Judeo thing. You know, we we honor what the Jewish, the Old Testament is important to us as Judeo-Christian. In our value system. Not that we follow all the law, but that moral law is important. Want to look at Judeo-Christian values? How about we go back and look at somebody like Paul and see what Judeo-Christian values probably look like. And then say, gee, I wonder how my values line up with the Apostle Paul. Now I realize we are not all called to be Apostle Pauls. Right? So nobody... Think I'm trying to say we all have to be exactly like Paul. We have different callings, different giftings. But should we have different values? Biblical values. Is it the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow, or isn't it? Has the word changed, or hasn't it? I think most of us would say it should all be the same. 
So the values should be the same when it comes to the biblical values. So we're going to look at Paul on his third missionary journey. Do I have that little pointer thing down there? I always got to stick a little geography lesson in if I can. It's that teacher thing. But it kind of helps. I want to set the context of the scripture we're going to look at. That map, if you see all those lines running all over the place, are missionary trips of Paul. He went on three significant missionary journeys. The context of what we're going to look at in scripture took place on his third missionary journey, which started over here in Antioch. If you can see over here on this side of the screen. And he traveled up and around, and the line is supposedly orange here, and he got up to the Antioch of Pisidium, another Antioch, came over to Ephesus, then he went on up to Troas, and then he went over into Macedonia, all the way down to Corinth and Athens, and then he circled all the way back. And when he got to Troas here, he took a little different. He didn't stay on land, he took a boat. And he went by sea all the way back to Jerusalem. This trip was over 2,000 miles. It took him a while. Um, he took part of it by boat, by ship. A lot of it they would have walked in that culture. An awful lot of it they would have walked. And on this journey, he, when he got to Ephesus, the one that the book of Ephesus was written to, the letter of Ephesus, when he got there, he spent over two years there ministering. Started out by, I met a bunch of believers and says, hey, have you guys been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And they said, huh? We don't even know about that. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues. Ministry took off. He's ministering. People are getting, getting saved and they're getting on fire for God. So much so that, guess what happens when a group of people get saved and get on fire for God? People get ticked off. People around us don't like it much. Because their, their value system changed. Their lives changed. And at that time, there was a temple in Ephesus, Temple of Diana. Some of your scriptures might say uh, Artemis. And it was this amazing temple worship. It was as pagan as it can get. The temple prostitutes, all this stuff. But there was a whole business that had grown around the temple worship, the silversmiths. You know, like tourist traps? Only they made all these little temple things out of silver. And, and of course... Paul, when he started preaching and teaching that there's only one God and that any little God made by the hands of man was a worthless piece of garbage, business kind of declined and they didn't like it much. One of them organized a bunch of people and they, had a, they threw a fit. And eventually, you know, people, you know, I'm not endorsing book burnings, okay? But, man, he was preaching the truth of the gospel, but there was so much sorcery and magic going on that they gathered all these books Thousands of books about sorcery and magic and burned them. Those people were being transformed by the Word of God, by Christ, by the Holy Spirit. But they ran them out of town, basically. And then he moved on. And there's another little interesting story. That, and by the way, all of this has almost nothing to do with my message. I just like it. When he went up to Troas, it was really nice. And this is a warning, Arnie. This is for you. Those of you that don't know Arnie and me, we have a good relationship. He was preaching in Troas. Arnie could probably already guess what happened. 
That doggone preacher preached for so long. Paul's preaching and preaching and preaching. There was a young kid. It looks like he might have been 15, 16. And he was sitting in the third floor listening. It was a big house. And he's sitting in the windowsill listening to the sermon. And what happened? He fell asleep and fell out of the window. Dead. That'd ruin your message, wouldn't it? Not at all. Because signs and wonders confirmed the Word of God and the preaching of Paul. And he went down and here's this dead boy and he lays hands on him. Raises him from the dead. What a great demonstration of the power of God. This is how Paul was ministering. And he continued on this trip and he went all the way down and he came all the way back and and then he got to this city by boat right down here. Miletus. See, there's Ephesus right there. Miletus is right down here, about 30 miles south. And that's where he's at in the text that we're going to read right now. It's in Acts chapter 20. I'm going to start in verse 22. And that's, verse 17 is not up there, but if you have your Bibles, you might note that in, in verse 17, it says that he got to Miletus, And he sent a message up to Ephesus, to the church in Ephesus, to the elders of the church, the leaders of the church. And he says, guys, I want you to all come down here. I've got some things I want to share with you. And he did this because he, as he says later on, he knew he was not going to see them again. So he calls the leaders down. And I'm going to start reading in verse 22. And he is speaking to the leaders. But just because he's speaking to the leaders, I believe this is a message for all of us, not just for leaders. And he says this, Behold, and now I am compelled by the Spirit. I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. That's why he called them down. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. We're going to focus on just a few of these verses. Most of my focus is going to be on verse 22 and 24. Compelled by the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, the word compelled, those of you that are reading in different translations, you know there's a number of different translations and the ways that that word has been translated from the original language. I'm going to, here's some of them. Bound is very common in some of your translations. Constrained by the Holy Spirit. Some say, I must obey. Some say, I am drawn irresistibly. Some say, I am a prisoner in spirit. Others say, I am impelled by a sense of duty. Now, 
Webster's Dictionary defines the word compel this way. To force or to drive. To fasten with chains and to put under obligation. I share all of those ways it's being translated in definitions to make this point. It is a very, very, very strong word. When Paul says, I am bound by the Spirit, I am compelled by the Spirit, it's a strong word. The Greek word there, deo, means to bind, fasten with chains, and to put it under obligation. It's like he's saying, I am fastened with chains that are dragging me to Jerusalem. Forcing me to Jerusalem. Even though I know it isn't going to be good when I get there. Now, if, if you're like, well, if you've talked about the Holy Spirit much, there's almost this unwritten Christian doctrine about the Holy Spirit. You ever heard the phrase, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman? Ever heard that? He's a gentleman. I can't find that using a concordance anywhere in the Bible. We say it all the time. And I think one of the reasons we say it is, I get to define how a gentleman behaves. What kind of gentleman is he? Well, he's the kind of gentleman who waits on me like a good old English butler. What can I get you? What would you like? What do you want? How can I bring you pleasure? How can I help you? That's the kind of gentleman we all often want the Holy Spirit to be. Well, when I think of that unwritten statement, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman, and I look at the definitions of these, the word compel, and you can look many other places in Scripture and see how the Spirit led, the Spirit spoke, the Spirit stopped. Man, you can look at Jesus right after He was baptized. What happened to Him? He was bound and compelled by the Holy Spirit and taken out in the wilderness. Why? To be tempted by Satan. Not very gentlemanly, is it? How many of you would like the gentleman Holy Spirit to take you out in the wilderness to be tempted by Satan? Not me. I want the gentleman the way I define him to be. So when I look at this verse, it's like my human side starts to rise up a little bit. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to make me do anything I don't want to do. Anybody ever say those things? I don't have to and you can't make me. I'm my own man. Boy, the more often we say that, the stupider we sound. And let me tell you why. You and I are compelled by something almost continuously The problem is, it's not the Holy Spirit. You know what compels us? Fear. Insecurity. Shame. Comfort. Money. Greed. They compel us. And if you don't think so, ask yourself, why do I do the things I do? And why don't I do some of the things I probably know I should do. 
I couldn't tell you how many times I have said this statement and how many times I've heard people say this statement. I really know I should read the Bible, but... Anybody ever said that but me? What do you mean, but? What do I mean when I say but? Why don't I read the Bible? Do you think the Holy Spirit would compel me to read the Bible? Absolutely. What compels me not to? Whatever I want to do instead. It's not easy for me to read. It's too much work. My laziness is compelling me. I don't have time. I'd rather watch Back to the Future 3. (laughs) We are compelled by all of these things continuously. They're telling us what to do. And you know what? Sadly, we obey. Every day. Challenge you. Today, the rest of the day, the things you do. Ask yourself why you're doing it. And it doesn't mean everything we do is, is bad if we're not sensing the Holy Spirit really leading us. But ask yourself, why do you do it? And how do I bring this all together and, and make this work with the Holy Spirit's compelling and all these strong definitions? And I do know and understand that the Holy Spirit will not override my will. God has given man free will. How does this work? That's what I've been pondering for two weeks. Is how does this work? Because I believe when Paul says he was compelled by the Spirit, he meant it. And that the word means what it means. So I needed to understand it. How does the compelling of the Holy Spirit line up with my right to choose? Because you have a right to choose. God has given us the right to choose. If you are being forced to do something, what is implied? I am resisting. I don't want to do it and I will resist you. When I say, you can't make me, you ever had a kid stand there and look at you and go, "Uh uh-uh, I ain't going to do it. And then you spank them. And then they maybe did it. Why? Because they were compelled by the spanking. We are compelled by something. But we are a stubborn people. Anybody know anybody that's stubborn? Have you ever been around the person sitting next to you and seen their stubbornness come out? We're stubborn. Some of us, some of you are probably already bristling when I'm saying we need to get away from this. You ain't going to tell me what to do thing. I know some of you are like, I'm I'm not... Aren't you? I have for almost two weeks been doing that. I don't want to hear this. I want to do what I want to do. I want to do my own thing. And Jesus, I'll serve you when it's necessary. I mean, when the phone rings and I have to talk to somebody, okay. Or I have an appointment, okay. I got to get ready for a sermon, okay. But Jesus, just leave me alone the rest of the time. Now, that really is bad if you're the pastor. But it happens. Sorry, it happens. It happens to all of us. And Paul's saying, I am compelled by the Holy Spirit. You want a Judeo-Christian value? There's a Judeo-Christian value. To be compelled by the Holy Spirit. To be led by the Holy Spirit. And it's such a strong word. I I want to say force, but I don't dare because you'll misunderstand me. 
And the reason I don't believe it's forced is, you know what? There's been a couple of times in our... How many years have we been married, honey? 29? 30. 30. I'm getting closer. 30 years. There's been a couple of times where she said to me, Mike, you need to go golfing. And I go, oh, really? Don't make me. You can't force me to go golfing. How many of you know that's never happened in my life? (laughs) Amen. I have never said that. Never. You know why she can't force me to go golfing? I want to. I want to. You ever been at somebody's house and they say, really, just have a little more dessert? No, 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 no. Uh Uh-uh. No, really, I insist. Okay. (laughs) You think I was forced to have that second piece of dessert? No way. I wanted it. Now, there's been times at our kitchen table when my kids were growing up and they don't like this at all. I said, you're not getting up from that chair till those peas are gone. (laughs) I got to tell you, I lost more often than I won. But if I wanted those peas, you can't force me. And I believe what we're seeing here for a Christian is a value of a Christian to be compelled by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not going to have to walk on eggshells when he talks to me. He does not have to choose his words carefully. He doesn't have to sneak around and manipulate me because I want to do what he wants me to do. So no matter what it is, I want to do it. I am compelled to do it. Not only because he says so, but because I want to. Paul is sold out to Christ. The Holy Spirit could take him by the back of the neck and says, Paul, we're heading there. Paul didn't go, geez, God, last time I was in Jerusalem, it didn't go so well. And rumor has it, I'm going to get beaten and thrown in jail. No, he says, amen, we're going to Jerusalem. You can't force me. I want to go. Why do you want to go? Because I want to do what the Master has called me to do. I am compelled And that's how I believe this can be reconciled together, that the Holy Spirit can forcefully compel us and lead us because we've already decided way back there that whatever He wants us to do, whatever He wants us to be, wherever He wants us to go, I'm going. Do we look like a Judeo-Christian people? If that's a Judeo-Christian value. Most of the time, I don't think we could answer that yes. Paul says, I've already decided. Just tell me. Just tell me. What a wonderful attitude that would be in a believer. I've already decided. And I can say that because I know who I am. I'm a child of God created in His image to fulfill the calling on my life and the destiny that He has before me. I know who I am. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know where it's going to happen. But I don't care. Let's go. Tell me. And it might be right here in Ballotton or in Tracy or Marshall or Lake Benton, out on a farm. It doesn't matter where it is, but you're ready. Whatever it takes. We're compelled. Not forced. They don't have to kick us in the rear end because I want to go. Just tell me. Just tell me. And I believe that's what Paul is showing us. And a matter of fact, he's this way and he says, no matter what happens. Notice in verse 22, the rest of that verse says, knowing what will happen to me. It didn't matter. 
What do you do when the Holy Spirit asks you to do something? He's compelling you to do something, and you start going down the list of uh-oh consequences. What if you're really compelled at your next family gathering to get everybody to set down their beer and alcohol and drink and say, let's pray before we eat? And you go, oh, geez, are you nuts, God? They'll think I'm a lunatic. They'll laugh at me. They'll run me out of the family. Now, God may never ask you to do that, but if he did, are you saying, amen? I'm going for it. Let's do it. Now, not because I want to stir up trouble, okay? But because I'm compelled by the Holy Spirit. What's the cost? There's a lot of cost. Everything we do for Christ comes with a cost. Did you know that? It comes with a cost. We're told that in the Word of God. We should expect it. What are we compelled by? Our reputation? One of the lines that Steve Gray used in this message, I just love that I've shared it with a few people, is this, you know, our reputation, you aren't that interesting. <laughs> the only person's attention you seem to be able to keep is your own. I'm thinking, geez, that's true. I can pretty much think about me all the time. I can't believe you guys can't. I really like me. I'm impressed with me. I deserve to be comfortable. And you should make me comfortable. I mean, really, don't we almost... I mean, we would never say that. We're smarter than that. And here I say it publicly on tape. But we're smarter than that. But ask yourself, is that how we act? Is that how we think? It's not of a very Judeo-Christian value if Paul exhibited Judeo-Christian values to us. He says in verse 3, There's nothing coming when I get to Jerusalem except bonds and affliction, anguish, persecution, jail. That's what's coming. Trouble. But Paul had already decided... If you have your Bibles open, it's, I, don't, I don't know that I... Do I have the verse from Acts 21 on there? I don't know that I do. Acts 21 verse um, 13 says this. This is Paul speaking. He says, I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, if that is your mindset... What's going to get you off track? Nothing. That's why when the Holy Spirit compelled him to go to Jerusalem when he was probably going to be beaten and jailed in prison and who knows what else was coming, no problem, guys. I won't see you again. I'm heading to Jerusalem. I'm never going to see you brothers again. I'm going to Jerusalem. All I know is it's not going to be good. But I'm going because it doesn't matter. And in verse 24, here's a, here's a value for you. Wouldn't you love this to be the promo for your church? Your life is worthless. Come and join us where our life means nothing. <laughs> that should be the reality. Paul's reasoning here is, verse 24, I do not consider my life on account of anything, or I consider my life worth nothing to me. Now, you've got to understand, our, our life is very important to the Lord. But it should mean nothing to us, this natural life that's around us. 
Paul stated this more than once. He wrote in Galatians 2.20. And this applies to all of us. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's why I no longer live. When he was crucified, my old self died. When he was raised from the dead, I am born again, a new creation in Christ, and I love him and I live for him. My life's no longer my own, it's his. And the reality is, when we get to that place, we really get to start living. But we have to die first to that old self. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 13, I love the way he starts here in the NIV. He says, if we are out of our mind, don't you love that? If we're out of our mind, yes, we are out of our mind. It is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you, the people. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. What compelled him? The love. There should be nothing that the Holy Spirit has to force me to do because I am compelled by my love to God for what he did for me. Are you compelled by love? Are we compelled by the love of Christ? You know, the problem is so many of us are compelled by so many other things. Our pasts, our our tragedies, things that they prevent us from being able to do what we need to do, what we want to do. But we can be set free of all that stuff. We need to repent. We need to forgive others. We need to get right with the Lord. And we can quit being compelled by our fears. How many of you love to be led by fear? How many of you love to be compelled by anxiety and worry? How many of you are compelled by your prejudices? Your past? You're compelled by your past. Nobody likes living that way. Paul's here telling us, and I'm here to tell us, we don't have to live that way. We've been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ when when he died on that cross and was raised from the dead. That old man is dead. We have an authority and a power through the Holy Spirit, through God, to be free of that. And sometimes it's a process. Sometimes it's hard work. Sometimes we need help. That's why we have brothers and sisters in Christ. But don't ever believe the lie of the enemy that you have to be compelled by the things that you've always been compelled by. You do not have to be compelled by shame. I mean, I have people that I go to and I say, you know what, we've been watching you. I've seen the way you work with people. We'd really like you to consider doing thus and this in the church. And they go, oh, can't do that. Why? Fear. I can't talk to people. Really? I'm people. I can't talk to lots of people. No, I could never do that. They would never listen to me if they knew my past. Are you born again? Don't look back. It's past. 
Have you been forgiven? Have you been set free? Don't look back. You know what? If, if we as a church are going to fulfill the destiny for God, that God has for us in southwest Minnesota, we got to get past all of that garbage. We cannot be compelled by those things. We need to get before God and say, you know what? No more, Lord. I forgive so-and-so. I repent of this and that. Whatever it takes. You don't know what it will take? Ask the Holy Spirit and He will tell you. He will bring you to that place of repentance. He'll bring people to your mind that you may not have thought about for years that you need to forgive. You need to let it go. And when we do that, all of a sudden, all of the things that are in the way are removed and we can be compelled by the Holy Spirit. Because I believe if we are born again, we have the Spirit of God in us, I believe we want to do what God wants us to do. But we're works in progress. And that's okay. Why did Paul consider his life worthless? If you read on in those verses we read, He says, I want to finish. I want to finish my course. In Philippians 3.12, he wrote, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, uh, forgetting what is behind and straining towards that which is ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize to win the prize or the high calling, depending on your translation, for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He's saying, you know what? My, wife, my life is worthless to me. I want to press on and accomplish the task. You know, most of us, I think you've heard enough. I hope you believe it. You have a destiny in God. I have a destiny in God. This church body has a destiny in God. Do we want to see that destiny fulfilled for the glory of God and the kingdom? Well, if we do, I'm not going to let anything push us off track. Let's stay on track. Fulfill your destiny. I'm going to be compelled by the Holy Spirit because I guarantee you if you're compelled by the Holy Spirit, you will find your destiny. If you're compelled by fears and anxiety, worry, riches, wealth, reputation, it isn't going to happen. Get out of the way. And Paul says, I'm going to press on. I'm going to finish the race for the prize. I mean, how cool will it be to stand in front of the creator of the universe and have him look at you with not one speck of condemnation and say, well done, good, faithful, child of mine, servant. Man, that's a pretty good deal. Paul says, that's it. I'm going for it. Nothing's going to get in the way. And his task that he had was to testify of the grace of the gospel of God. You know what? Your life and my life is to testify to the grace of the gospel of God. You know, it's only by grace we're even in the race. We don't deserve to be in the race. We don't deserve to have a destiny. Our destiny is a grace gift from God. We don't deserve it. It's all by grace. You know, we, most of us understand the definition or we've heard the definition, grace is that unmerited favor of God, that thing we didn't deserve. You know, we're saved by grace through faith. Man, absolutely true. But in that, you can lose sight of the aspect of power that's in grace. 
There is a grace power. You can win the race. You can run the race. You can fulfill the destiny. I don't deserve to be in it. Can you imagine getting a call one day and saying, you know what, hey, Mike, I heard you run a little. Well, in my case, very little. But we're going to enter you in the Olympics. I'm going, no, I don't deserve it. No, really, you're in. You know those runners from Ethiopia that are really good? You're going to run with them. I'm like, I don't deserve to be in the race. There's no way I can compete in that race. And there's no way I can win that race. I'm going to be totally humiliated. We would would never go there. So many of us, the devil has got us filled with so many lies. When the Lord says, I got a race for you to run and I'm putting you in that race, your life is going to be a testimony to the grace of God. We go, I don't deserve to be in that race. I'm not good enough to be in that race. I don't read the Bible enough. I, I only started going to church six weeks ago. I'm not sure I like it yet. I don't know the language. I can't be in the race. I mean, gee, I used to do all kinds of bad stuff. Well, we still do all kinds of bad stuff, right? But you're in the race. He says, I'm putting you in the race. It's by grace. By grace. A race we don't deserve and we'll win. We will finish the race compelled by the grace of God, compelled by the Holy Spirit. And I believe when Paul is looking at this, he's saying, for me, he's saying, this is what Christian values look like. Now, how it manifests in your life and my life is all going to be totally different. He's gifted you and me differently than Paul. He's gifted us differently than the person sitting next to us. He's called us to different places. Some are called to to work in, in schools. Some are called to be farmers. Some are called to be businessmen. We're all called to be different things. So it's not going to look the same. But it's the same Holy Spirit that we should be compelled by wherever God has led us and planted us. And where we're at should be a testimony where we testify of the grace of the gospel of God. That's what he's telling us. We can't let our comfort, our likes, preferences, reputation... You know, there's a scripture, and I I know I didn't put this on there, but if you have your Bibles in Ephesians 2.10, it says this. I'm going to personalize it a little bit. Paul writes this, For you, for I, Mike, for you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Destiny, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If that's what God has done, if he has prepared the good works from beforehand, before we were born, that we should walk in him, guess what? The Holy Spirit's going to lead us down the right path. And we'll be compelled to be obedient. And the last thing I want to mention about Paul here. is in verse 27. Another value of Paul's that I think we need to grab a hold of, especially in our culture and what's going on in the world today. He says, I did not shrink. I didn't pull back from declaring to you the whole counsel, the whole purpose of God. Do you know that we have the whole counsel of God? We have the whole purpose of God. 
right here. We need to, in our culture, look what's going on in the world today. If I stand, Darren and I were golfing this week. Cindy made me. <laughs> but the, the guy we're talking to is talking about his faith. And he says, you know, you don't seem as rigid as, as a lot of churches. I think you'd like our church. And I think you'd fit in well at our church. I go, really? Why is that? Well, we have blacks, we have Hispanics, we have Africans, we have all kinds, we have everything you can imagine, and we have guys with guys and girls with girls. He says, you'd fit in. I said, I don't think I'd fit in. And, and, you know, this is one of those conversations on the tee box. I don't think I'd fit in. And he goes, why wouldn't you fit in? I believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God. Oh, end of discussion. We have the inerrant will and word of God right here. And Paul's saying, you know what? I, have, I am out there. I am testifying to everything that's in here. We need not be afraid to stand up for the word of God. In love, but stand up for the word of God. Declare the whole counsel of the word of God. That should be another one of our Christian values. None of this wishy-washy, tickle-your-ears kind of stuff to make sure, why would I ever do that? Why would I ever, I mean, believe it or not, I know you can't believe, as a pastor sometimes up here, I want to preach a sermon that you'll like. Why? Because then you'll like me. And then I feel better. How sick is that? What would be compelling that? Pride, insecurities, fear, all this garbage. Paul's saying, it isn't going to happen with me. He said, I am going to preach the word of God as I am compelled by the Holy Spirit in its fullness. We need to take that stand. We need to. How well would we fit in? What, what has our attention? What are we compelled by? Our needs, our desires, our fears, our selfishness, our past, or the purpose of God. You know what? If we are true believers, and I don't know a better phrase to use than that. I believe there's true believers and those that think they're believers. And then there's that, those that are on their way to becoming believers. But if a true believer, we should be compelled to a response. A scripture you're, a lot of you are familiar with is in James chapter 2, verse 19. You believe there's a God? And basically what he's saying, oh, you believe there's a God? That's a good thing, because there is a God. He says, you believe they're God? Good. Even the demons believe that. And they respond. They shudder in fear. Well, at least they respond. It's the wrong response, but they respond. And then he goes on in verse 20 and says, So, you foolish man, Do you want evidence that faith without works or deeds is useless? True believers should respond. To say, yes, I believe, really, you and the demons are in the same camp. How do we respond? Do we respond to the leading and the compelling of the Holy Spirit? Most of us are like Paul, and we'd we'd say, you know, we haven't got there yet. We're not at that point yet. I certainly don't pretend to be. But I do 
know and have experienced enough of a taste to know that when I die to self, I begin to really live. There is such freedom in dying to self and allowing the fruit of the Holy Spirit to manifest in our life. There's such a place of peace, a place of hope, joy. All of that is there available for every one of us. What kind of believers are we and what are we compelled by? I hope you have to wrestle with that all week like I did. You'll enjoy it. Let's pray together. Lord, again, I pray that what I've shared and what I've looked at in the Word edifies and builds up your church. God, I pray you would teach us, reveal things to us. There's so much more to understand about you and our relationship with you, about the Holy Spirit and being led by the Holy Spirit, compelled by the Holy Spirit. But this much we know, Lord, being compelled by fear is not of you. Our guilt, shame, insecurities, not of you. Father, forgive us, convict us of those areas in our lives. We are compelled by selfish things. Lord, I pray that you would continue to move in each one of our hearts by your Spirit. Bring us, bringing us to that greater and greater Christ-likeness that your Holy Spirit is developing in each one of us. God, I pray for the love of Christ to overflow in each one of our lives. That it would flow back to you, but also to those around us. Lord, I thank you that your spirit lives in us. That you have given us your word that we might know your will and purposes. Now, Lord, I pray as we go our different directions this week and this day, that we go with you. Give us a greater sensitivity to your Holy Spirit. Increase our spiritual vision. Help us to quickly crucify flesh and obey your promptings and leadings. Lord, we ask this, that you'd be glorified in everything we do in the workplace, amongst friends, family, people we meet in your divine appointments. And Lord, again, we pray that all the glory and honor would go to you in Jesus' name. Amen.